filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor. Uh, I am joined, as always, by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United, and that's what we're doing tonight. We've got a 3-1 loss in Columbus to break down, uh, and we are going to be previewing DC United's trip to Chicago uh, Thursday night, midweek action. 8 p.m. on NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, and ESPN+. Plus. We'll be speaking with Ruben Tisch from our SB Nation sister site, HotTimeInOldTown.com. Uh, later in this week, we'll have another episode um, previewing the weekend game at Orlando. We will have Julia Poe from the Orlando Sentinel on to help us preview that one. And if you just cannot wait to get your ears on that talk uh you should join our patreon patreon.com slash filibuster because patrons will have early access to that and everyone else will have to wait until after the chicago game before we talk about the chicago game or the columbus game i have to ask ben a question here what are you drinking i am going with bourbon and coke full 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 sugar coke Full sugar bourbon. I, I, that's not a thing. I don't think there's diet bourbon. There's probably diet bourbon. I just have not experienced it yet. But I'm, uh, yeah, I'm with uh, Jim Beam and regular Coke. To my knowledge, there is no artificially sweetened bourbon that can be called I bet bourbon. there is. I bet. No, it I don't think you can, can call, call it bourbon. bourbon. No, I don't think you can call it bourbon, but I'm sure they could call it like bourbon flavored or bourbon, bourbon adjacent <laughs> or yeah, something like that. Diet bourbon drink. Jason, would you drink it? Made may at the same plants as <laughs> bourbon. I mean, probably. I wouldn't be happy about it. Um but the other, part of this is a deep-seated need to not waste food or beverages. Yes, so I feel that. So if it was poured I'd be same. like, oh, come on. Yeah. Um, so made yeah. from real bourbon and real bourbon are different things. And I had a an equivalent experience with a juice box the other day. It it said on two different places on it. How is that? How is that? It said in two different places on the juice box, 100% juice. And then you look at the bottom, it of says. Of course it's 100% juice. It's 90% grape juice. It says 100% juice made from juice and other ingredients. And I was just like, how does that math work? How can you have other ingredients and be 100% juice? That is what bourbon drink would be. It would be 110%. Jason, what do you think? It's all grape juice and then a little bit of extra. Well, speaking of uh, grape juice, uh, I have some wine. Uh, I have a... 2017 Pinot Noir from Nielsen Vineyard of California. And uh, it was an impulse buy. Uh, I 
was buying I'm, beer. I'm and pretty was like, sure. I'll get some wine. I'm pretty sure that's the same wine you've had for the past ten years. No, I've never had this wine. Uh, in yeah, I, I think you have. Um, uh, this is a new level of this bit in which now is this a Budweiser wine? Budweiser. Like, fa- founding it in reality before was like maybe I was drinking something for the second time. This is now a new level in which uh, reality doesn't matter uh, to the bit. Uh, it's just. We, we... Jason, when has reality ever mattered? I, I'm saying that it was at some point there was like maybe a glance towards reality and now no glance um, is the difference. Uh, also, I'll add that this wine isn't very good. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I mean, a good yes, Pinot my, Noir my, is my... very good. A bad Pinot Noir is not. Yeah, this one's kind of not great. I'm sorry. I, I, I feel like most bourbon and Cokes are about the same. They're, they're like a good bourbon and Coke. The difference between a good bourbon and Coke and a bad bourbon and Coke are, is not much. They're about the they, same. They mostly both taste like Coke. <laughs> yeah. Don't put your good bourbon in Coke. Don't do no. that. No, 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 no. Don't put your Woodford Reserve or your Eagle Rare or anything like that in, in Coke. Don't do it. This has been a public service announcement from your friends at Filibuster. Yep. Uh, I am happy with my drink tonight. Uh, I, I am drinking a mezcal margarita. Um, our friend Matt Doyle is, a, among many things, a smart human being. And one of his smart positions is that you take any tequila drink, any cocktail made with tequila, and you substitute mezcal in for it. And you, it, it's probably going to be as good, if not better. And this is one of those. Um, this is a, a very tasty drink. I'm really happy with it. Uh, complete with top shelf lime juice from actual limes, from limes. Um, which is where top shelf lime juice comes from. We all know this. It's well established. Um, yeah, it's a tasty drink. I'm real happy with it. Um, I think a lot of people are much less happy with DC United's result over the weekend or or lack of a result. They came back from Ohio this weekend, disappointed, falling three to one to the defending MLS Cup champions on uh, one darn near perfect free kick uh, and and two extremely not perfect own goals. Uh, for consolation, Ola Kamara scored on his first appearance of the season. Well taken shot after uh, a turnover forced by the repress uh, and a, a nice little assist from Edison Flores to get it over the back line to, to Kamara. Um, with this result, DC United has now shipped seven goals in their last two games, and they've been outscored eight to two in three games since their season opening win over NYCFC. Um, I think if we, if there are any grievances to air in a, of a general nature, Ben, Jason, now is the time. I mean. Uh, uh... There's a lot of uh, of particulars to gr- grievance about it. It's it's injuries, and not all of that is Losada's fault. Even though a lot of people try to blame that on Losada, it's growing pains of developing a new system after ten years of a different system. Um, Ernan Losada has signed what, maybe two players, one or two players. Uh, this offseason, Lucy Rushton has signed zero players, and it's going to take at least two more uh, uh, windows to get them to maximize their potential. If we're still this frustrating uh, after the uh, 
the summer window and after uh, the win- uh, next winter's window, then that's a problem. But this was always going to be a long-term project. You've got to take a while to transition from what Ben Olsen wanted to do to what Hernan Losada wants to do. So, yes, it sucks. Yes, there's a lot of injuries right now, and and it, it, that also sucks. But it's not time to throw out Hernan Losada or throw out anything. It's it's it sucks, but it's time to to roll with the punches. You know, for me, uh, the the concern I have is really it's not the attack overall; it's specific players within the attack. Um, and I'm mostly thinking about Flores and Assad right now, yeah. um, because as Flores much as problems, you know, as much as we have these injury absences, um, these are players that are still most likely one of one or both of them is going to be a starter um, all year long. Um, right now, though, with Paul Ariola apparently getting close to his return. I feel like there's a good justification to um, to swap one of them out. Um, Flores did have the assist, and it was a very good assist. It just that was it for the night. Um, his only key pass. Uh, he had one successful dribble and only one attempt, which means, uh, sure, he did have the one success, but he's also not really not that he's a dribble centric kind of player, but he's not creating off of that. He's not creating as a passer. He's not really creating with his movement right now. So um, that's a concern to me. The fact that um, Assad was kind of muted again. Uh, Assad though, was slow in his decision-making a lot of the time too. Right. Yeah. And and this was a game where Losada switched. He made, it, he made an mm-hmm. adjustment to his front three where it was, especially in possession, much more about uh, Assad playing centrally underneath two forwards with with Flores and Kimarni Smith. Um and, and after the game, you know, Losada did bring up the fact that Flores, one, he gave him a freer role, but two, he still wanted him checking back and helping create a four V two, uh boxing in Columbus's holding midfielders. And I I think that part of it went fine. Uh there's there's a reason why Columbus created so little and it's mostly because they couldn't figure out what to do with the ball. Um because this overload in particular was disrupting the things that they like to do. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if you have someone like Flores, who maybe the restrictions of that role underneath uh, were a little too much, so you say, okay, let's play you as a forward instead of as th- this like quasi-wide forward, quasi-attacking midfielder thing. Let's simplify it, let you go up front some more and have some more positional freedom. If it still doesn't shake loose at that point, then it starts to be a little more alarming. Um, I still think there's a good player in there. It's just uh, at a certain point, like right now, DC needs, quite frankly, their bigger names to carry them a little bit because because of the injuries more than anything else, uh, because the system is new, because they're trying to figure things out. And those guys aren't really carrying the team. Um, You know, Julian Gressel, I, I took some time today to listen to Columbus's post-game press conference, and one thing that came up three or four times was how much emphasis they put on restricting Gressel to such an extent that Caleb Porter actually said, 
we our our game plan was kind of he he was kind of being broad here rather than specific, but he's like we kind of wanted to go. Let's make sure our left side is locked down defensive, and we'll attack up the right. We'll we'll make up the attacking loss that we sacrifice by locking down Gressel by going up the right. Um, so Gressel is obviously affecting the other team in a major way. That's a big game plan shift. Caleb Porter does not really like to do that. He wants to be more balanced normally. Um, so that's good. So Gressel, I think, gets a pass right now, though his set-piece service in this specific game, pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, I, I I hope he would be the first to recognize well, that it was e- not up to a, a standard. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I, I don't I don't know. I like Russell, but I mean, it's just like we're we're keeping giving him giving him time and giving him time and giving him time. I, like, I feel like he needs to start start turning it up. I mean, I he he was I mean, right either. now. Right now, right now, it's like. Yeah, there's there's shit around him. He was getting the ball Sorry. into dangerous spots. Uh, if you go to American Soccer Analysis, and it's still early, so the numbers don't really mean all that much. But he look, if you look at goals plus, he's a top 50 player in the league, above average right now. Um, he He's getting the ball into dangerous spots, and he's, he's doing stuff with it. It's just there's nothing after that. <laughs> he's not getting the assists because we don't have somebody running the channels the way Joseph Martinez did. So he's not putting that the ball on anyone's head right now. Um, even though he has sent in the third most crosses in MLS, which I, my eye twitches a little bit at that stat, but, but they, they've they, been good crosses. Is they've the been generally good um, crosses. They haven't been the yeah. wait till the defense is set and then just put the ball somewhere in the box. They've been angled crosses, early balls, cutbacks, the, the kind of things that actually create danger and aren't just a hope and a prayer. But and, and to go back to the point, uh, I think it's still it's remarkable when a when the defending champion at home says our game plan has to be so dedicated to shutting down one player that we're going to shift. We're going to tell one side of the field, do this, do only focus on this. Don't even worry about going forward. Just focus on the, stopping one guy. Um, so if Gressel's drawing that kind of attention, that's very good. Um that's good for the rest of DC United. The problem that this is where I was building to the problem is that if that happens, there's, there's openings elsewhere. If a team's going to sell out to cover one wing back in this formation, it means that everyone else has openings to do something. And unfortunately in this game, for the most part, very few people came through, you know, it's one of those interesting moments where, um, you know, Flores, his uh, expected goals, expected assist combination were almost as high as Columbus's entire team. If you look through MLS's individual player stats, he almost matched them all every player they put on the field. Um, but it's it's a lot of little stuff. It's not very much in the big chances. Um, he's not creating a ton of big opportunities. So um, that's kind of an ongoing problem. The fact that he and Assad can't find these moments you know it's harsh to compare but like in this game the difference between these two teams other than bad luck which that's the own goals um are are, it's not all bad luck but a lot of it is bad luck but Lucas Zellerion turns absolutely nothing he manufactures a free kick out of not being touched uh and then he buries it because guess what that's what you're paying for you know when you pay for Zellerion or for Flores that's what you're paying for is 
Uh, how we we need a player who can turn nothing into something on a regular basis. Though, when people talk about a player as a match winner, that's what you're looking for. And guess what? Zellerion is a match winner in MLS right now. I I still think Flores can get there. Like as much as I'm criticizing him right now, I think he can get right. there. But right now, he's not a match winner in MLS. And right now, yeah. he's not even really making that big of an impact in games. No, he's not. No, he's he's a little bit replaceable right now. Um, and he needs to it, not were, be replaceable. If there were two Ariolas coming back uh, potentially in the next couple of weeks, I would be saying, yeah, put both of them in for, for him and Assad right now. Um, yeah, I agree. And I am hopeful. I, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm hopeful that Ariola's movement – um, whether it's in a three-four-three or Flores underneath Ariola and Kamara or Roberta or Sorga or Smith, whoever uh, up top or, or wherever Ariola happens to be deployed, I'm just really hoping his movement unlocks some things for other players. And as we get Kevin yeah. Paredes back or Joseph Mora back, we get more out of that left wing back spot because Adrian Perez put in a, a hard working shift. He he tried real hard out there, and he did a lot of work. Not a lot came out of it. Um, I mean, I, I feel so. like he's he, he's a uh, in in the uh, wing back spot. He's more of a twenty fifteen DC United player. That like that's not his natural position, right. and right. he's exactly better at many other positions. So, but putting him back there is, is a 2015 DC United uh, 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 move and it's necessary right now because of how many people are injured. But uh, I don't think that's indicative of his performance or indicative of what he can do for the team going forward. It's just, they needed him right there and he did an okay job, uh, but I don't think him or, the fans or the coaching staff wants to see him there in the long term. Yeah. Lozada after the game went out of his way to sort of shout Perez out just as someone who, as he said, zero wingback experience in MLS. He has not done this before. Yeah. Um, and zero wingback experience in college, zero wingback. There are, there aren't wingbacks in indoor soccer. He didn't play any wingback there <laughs> right. either. Um, so this is not something he's done before. And it's something that, you know, yes, he's tried it in preseason a couple of times, but realistically, when you've spent your entire career as a forward, uh, you're not necessarily going into a game where, you know, you haven't been named as a starter when the lineups were first submitted. Um, you're not necessarily thinking too much about wingback stuff. Um, so I don't know what happened with Mora. Losada said he didn't really want to talk about injuries, uh, anymore, which, I don't know how that's going to go because he said there are other ways for media to find out uh, about the injury stuff. I would counter that there isn't really uh, because uh, (laughs) the player availability report does not give us any information other than a list of names. Uh, And if we don't ask him, I mean, players are players are going to generally not want to tell you what's going on behind the scenes because it's a competitive advantage. So if the coach decides not to tell you, then you're just not going to find out. Um, but yeah, I don't know what happened to Mora. Um, I, I don't have any idea of the severity. I didn't see any players like doing the thing where they're wishing someone a, a speedy recovery and you think, okay, maybe this is more severe. There were, there were none of those. Um, but yeah, I, I think the issue with Perez in this game wasn't too much going 
backwards. It wasn't too much defensively. It was that in moments where you needed a little more technique and a little more vision, uh, that kind of let him down. Uh, he had some hard first touches. He had some moments on the ball where he just he picked a, an option that Columbus knew was coming. Uh, he didn't catch people off guard. Um, I, I don't think he had any successful uh, dribbles. Um, so this is the kind of thing that that wing back, or no, he did have one, but he he went one for four on dribbles, which for wing backs, you gotta have you gotta be able to beat your man on the dribble. Um, the system kind of doesn't work if you can't get around your man once in a while on the dribble. And this is maybe one thing I will say with Gressel, you know, he went over four. Um, so, you know, you're going to have a hard time as much as DC, I think didn't play all that badly in this game. They will continue to struggle if the wingbacks can't create on the dribble once in a while. And, you know, Gressel's game isn't too much about the dribble. So that left wing back is going to have to maybe, Maybe yes. be a little more dribble heavy than uh, which, cross heavy. which is one of the reasons why I I'm I, I have been excited about seeing Kevin Paredes get healthy and get some time in that, that spot nice. over Joseph Mora because that is not Joseph Mora's game. Joseph Mora when he dribbles a guy, it's because he's already running at full speed yes. and he fakes to slow down and then just keeps going. Uh, it's not a square a guy up and dribble him kind of situation. It's a it's an open field dribble and he's pretty good at that. Yes, but he he's been real hesitant in his last couple of games to to even try that stuff. You look at his average position against San Jose and it was even with the center backs, which is not where you want your wing back to be um, getting his actions. But despite our dour talk so far tonight, I came out of this game weirdly encouraged about DC United, not even like long term, but like this year encouraged about DC United. Um, and it, it's for a few reasons. DC United now has held um, the defending MLS Cup champions, uh, the team they beat in the Eastern Con- and the team they beat in the Eastern Conference Finals to basically nothing on an expected goals basis. And this is not while bunkering. They held the Columbus Crew and New England to a combined like 0.6 expected goals over those two games uh, while playing Losada's pressing of structure not by bunkering in the box they haven't created a lot because the connections aren't there in the attack and injuries are part of why and uh unfamiliarity is part of why i think learning the new system and being really tired (laughs) is also part of why but there's there's i think there are mitigating factors in the attack but the defense i did not expect to be at anywhere near this level ever let alone four games into the season. Um, and they're not playing Benny ball. They're, they're defending from the front foot. They're, they're defending in the other team's half and they're not giving up the kind of chances, no matter how much Losada talked about liking five, four games, no one likes to get scored on. And uh, as Jason mentioned uh, last week or the week before in his first half a season at bear um, they, they were kind of a lockdown defense. Uh, they they didn't score a bunch and they didn't allow a bunch. So it might be that this is just kind of the pattern. You get the defensive shape and rotations and everything in place, and then you take the reins off and let them go. I don't know if that's what we're going to see or not. Um, there's obviously room for the attack to grow, but when you're holding teams with attackers like New England and Columbus to very, very little on their home fields, 
uh, at this point in the process. I, I That is an encouraging sign to me, especially with the injuries that DC United has faced so far this year. Um, this is without Stephen Birnbaum. It's without Donovan Pines. It's without Bill Hamid, um, who I guess he would more be a reason to exceed your expected goals against or do better on your expected goals against than that actual number. And Chris Seitz certainly has not been being <laughs> his expected goals number. Right. But the the team as a whole, I think, has been pretty encouraging. If they can keep that level of defensive performance while cutting out the silly mistakes, um, like own goals and Chris Seitz's positioning. I, I mean, the own know, goals are self-inflicted. With you. I don't know if I agree with you at all on Did, this. You, you think DC United deserve to lose this game three to one? Not three to one. But... Did they deserve to lose against New England? Yes. On the balance of play, New England created yes. nothing. <laughs> that entire game. United. No, but so, exactly. That's a zero so, zero then. That's a zero zero. <laughs> that that should have been Hernan Losada's first scoreless draw as a coach. Now. Um, I, I think DC United, they've been like the San Jose game, I'm not gonna bring up expected goals because I mean San Jose scored some bangers, but DC United also did not play up to to what they should have. But Weirdly, the only game that they've lost the expected goals battle has been the game that they won, NYCFC. The other games, they've allowed very little uh, from an expected goals basis, very little chance creation. And I think that that's a positive sign. Eventually, the numbers tend to come back to that. You're not going to have teams exceed their expected goals by a factor of 10 every week, which is what's happening right now. And if it continues to happen, then Losada found a way to break expected goals in a very, very bad way. Um, but I, I, the team obviously has a lot of places to improve, and I think they will improve in many of those areas. And there's time and there's reason to think. Like, it's not just magical thinking to, to say when Paul Ariola comes back, the attack should be better. That magical thinking. So I think there's there's reasons to be optimistic and there are encouraging signs right now. So even before we bring in transfers, I think this team has a lot to work with right now. Um, And I'm excited to see if they actually can realize some of that potential because the, the foundation is being laid right now. And we've been talking about patience. It's four games into the season. You got to stay patient. Um, But I I'm seeing signs that the process is progressing. And that's encouraging to me. I mean, DC uh, went into this game without eight or nine starters. Um, and Columbus definitely did not. I'm sorry, Ben. They didn't deserve three. They might not even have deserved two. Um, they did not create anything. Like, they just, they had. No, I know three. they didn't create anything. I, I, I just don't think DC United deserved to win. I didn't not say that. I wasn't talking about DC United. I was talking about. did. Did Columbus deserve three goals on the night? No, the I day? said they didn't. But it, it, you know, in these in these games, DC has been very disruptive uh, to their opponents for the most part, um, and that's that is a difficult thing to pull off. Uh, the fact that a team like New England that's sort of built to play out of a press by going long, we talked about it after that game. Um, the fact that they did that to mitigate the press, but they weren't able to do anything beyond that, really. Um, and that game turned on 
both teams had their one moment at the back that DC's is a known goal and New England's hits the post instead of going in. Um, the games are are very unfortunately right now. DC's not quite good enough to make their own luck, uh, but they are getting close enough where it is coming down to that make your own luck kind of thing that you know Celeron makes his own luck there um, with the free kick goal. Um, you know, it is kind of a, when it rains, it pours situation a little, like if you think of the third crew goal, um, you know, that's an avoidable one, uh, that after the game, Briant even said like there was a miscommunication. Um, and I think that one looking at the replay, it looks to me like that's a sights issue. Yeah. Um, because that's the empty end of the stadium. Uh, and if, if he's loud there, then Briant isn't leaping up to try and get a toe on that ball. Um, but the second one, you know, it's a hard shot from an angle, but, you know, if you repeat that play 50 times, how many times is it going to go straight off of Briant and into the goal? Also, um, now that I'm on the topic, I'm a little irritated by Opta, uh, who have already <laughs> managed to miss, they've managed to misallocate two different DC goals this year, um, which is... Yes it's only it's only four games in guys they're not that hard to figure out what's happened you just have to look with your eyeballs at the screen um or the field if you happen to be there but um you know i feel for tony alfaro who did not score an own goal in this game um but is being still still to this moment being listed as uh the the own goal scorer there um i also feel for briant because i think the the revs own goal is maybe more on him but you know, I don't think there's anything he could do about the first own goal against Columbus um, because no, that, ball, that's a that's an unlucky he, bounce. Yeah. And, the, you know, the second one, if he gets the appropriate communication, he's not going up to try and make that block. And then I don't know what happens after that, but it's probably not an own goal on at least on Briant. Um, the way this team is possessed by uh, some sort of dark storm cloud, maybe somebody else comes in and does it. I don't I can't get into that. but. Um, it does feel like a, a part of the issue right now is just, you know, the little breaks that sometimes teams get are not going DC's way. Um, and they're happening at moments where DC is just trying to get back in. Uh, something goes wrong. Um, yeah. Or like they're close to halftime against San Jose and they've just pulled that, you know, the first 25 minutes against San Jose were pretty bad, but DC scraps a goal somehow and they're this close to halftime and they give up a, you know, a weird one. And all of a sudden that that's kind of game over. Um, the good news uh, to try and, and have a little half full here. This first four games is four playoff teams. Um, four teams that are pretty established in what they want to do. The crew uh, got stronger this off season after winning the championship. Um, the revs seemed built to sort of, you know, disrupt what DC does and they weren't really able to, to do much with that. Um, now we're coming into games against you know, Chicago, as we're going to talk about in the next segment, not very good, not a Columbus <laughs> crew quality team. Um, right. So maybe that's just part of it is, you know, you know, we have to take maybe a, a step back and say like, let's look at what the schedule is giving us, which is three road oh, yeah. games and four playoff teams to start. That's not, that's not healthy. Uh, that's not friendly well, and, schedule. And, and like I've been saying, like 
at least in my mind, this DC United team needs to be uh, looked at on the long term. Uh, I, I like I've I, like I've said like I don't think you can judge Ernan Losada or Lucy Rushton before this uh, this summer window just because they're they're going off of what was given to them basically, and so they're just trying to deal with the hand that was given them and they'll start to change it up and go from there. And well, I think we actually saw a little bit of what Hernan Losada's system is supposed to do with the goal that, that Ola Kamara scored, because that was a goal from having a lot of numbers forward. And then when the ball turns over immediately pressing, um, that counter press, right. repress, whatever you want to gag and press, whatever you want to call it. They immediately pressured everyone around the ball and got the turnover really quickly, got the ball to Flores really quickly. He immediately spots Ola Kamara, who the defense has completely forgotten about as they were trying to get into their possession or transition shape. Um, and they just left him all alone. And Flores immediately sees him, immediately gets in the ball. Like it's that kind of no hesitation, boom, 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 ball turns over. You win it back. You find the guy, you find the guy, you score. That's it. That's how it's supposed to work. It's defense into attack. And that's the next step for this team. I think is they early in the game. We saw it. And late in the game, we saw it. They're able to turn Columbus over in their own end. Only one time were they able to get a good chance out of it. And they scored on that chance. If they can turn those turnovers into opportunities, that's when this team is going to sing. And I want to, I'm glad that we're talking about Kamara for a second, because I think that is an underrated, but potentially an underrated, uh, note from this game. Um, I do not think it's a coincidence that Flores maybe had more of a connection with Kamara than he's had with Sorga and that he had with Smith. Um, not that he hasn't ever played with Sorga before, uh, because of last year, but it still was maybe, maybe not so much less familiar, but you've got an experience difference where Kamara is going to see some things that Sorga doesn't, um, Sorga's runs into the box. I think I said this in our Slack during the game. Um, Kamarni Smith is a little more goal dangerous with his runs because he's just sort of, <laughs> he's sort of to the point where it's not that they're complicated runs. It's just, he's sprinting into the box uh, right down the gut um, trying to get into the, you know, if you just hold someone, Hey, your team is attacking that goal and you're, you need to be the one that scores the goal. Where should you go? And they're going to be, I don't know, closer to the goal. Um, <laughs> Run and, hard and at the that, goal. And so that's what Smith was doing. Um, keep attacking. Exactly. Yes. Just like the. Hold up a sign that from, says uh, keep attacking. From Bronva. <laughs> I know we've talked about not watching Danish soccer on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> maybe we're liars. Um, but when yeah. It becomes uh, a Twitter meme. We're going to see it. Yeah, if that's a maybe like the best soccer meme of the year, we're probably going to get. Um, but uh, no, Kamara's run there, Kamara, Kamara and Flores having that understanding very quickly. Um, Flores having the trust that that's where he should go with that ball rather than using him as like, a, I'm going to look that way and do something else. Um, all of that is maybe also going to be a positive in this short term because as much as Kamara's time with DC has largely been frustrating because he's been hurt so much. And when he wasn't out injured, he was playing through something and not really looking his best. His last year, his confidence kind of fell off a cliff. Um, we saw him have probably as many one V ones with the goalkeeper that he didn't do anything with. than he did a uh, goals all season last year. So 
Um, if he he's finally back fit uh, to play a few minutes and he gets a goal right away, that is great news for a striker. Uh, if you say, okay, your your return to action is this 15 minutes and you go out and score a goal, that's that's a pretty much a recipe for building your confidence up. So um, maybe getting Kamara out there, getting some more sophistication on DC's runs, DC's attacking runs off the ball. Um, that could also, as Adam said, with Ariola, could be an additional factor there. But if you add that nuance up front that maybe hasn't been there, uh, with with especially with Sorgo, who's working hard, he's doing a lot as a defensive forward, but not so much as a striker trying to get on get in goal scoring opportunities. Um, but if you sharpen those runs up, maybe all of a sudden Flores starts to brighten up too, and maybe this has to be a thing where maybe his confidence is also an issue, and maybe getting some better guys around him that can offer him a little, a few more options. Maybe that lifts him as well. So that down the road when he has to carry the team, uh, because you know, they paid $5 million for him. That's your job is to carry the team if they pay that much money in MLS. Um, but maybe if the the rest of the team can kind of help him a little bit right now, then he can start to help the rest of the team a little more when they need it. But, um, I, I, I'm optimistic about that aspect because I thought Kamara looked pretty good. Um, I also, I think the team put out a 10 minute video of uh, like a day in the life of Kamara at training. Um, and I, I only just watched that today. Um, <laughs> and so maybe I'm just, I've got Kamara on the brain. I, I um, he passed some sort of um, like it's some sort of contraption in which you have to squeeze your knees together. And he set the, the new team record and he seemed to be very happy about that and was bragging about it throughout the video. Um, maybe the, all these little things though, they can add up to getting, getting him back to where he needs to be because for him, this is a make or break season. Um, DC didn't go get Nigel Roberta because they thought uh, they were set at striker. They went and got him because they're like, I don't think we're set at striker. Um, and Kamara being 30, this is kind of it. Like if the team's, if the team's going to build around you, you need to, this year is a prove it kind of year. Um, so hopefully for him, this is step one towards uh, getting on, getting on a run here. The opportunities in these next two games are going to are, if, if they're not there, then something's deeply wrong with the attack. Um, because like I said, I just, I watched the Chicago game earlier this afternoon and the space is going to be there. Uh, but I don't want to step on the next segment any more than that. Uh, let's quickly go through some individual performances. We talked a little bit about Kamarni Smith um, already, but I want to say he came out of the gate really hot, making a lot of hard runs, uh, getting on the ball even um, in the early going of this game. And then he started to look like a rookie uh, after that, kind of faded out, was bodied off the ball a couple of times, a little bit slow in decision-making. Uh, chance to grow for him, I, I think. Um it looks like he he's got some tools. He's got the right mindset, and I I hope to see more from him next time. Um, Chris Seitz, we've mentioned a couple of times too. Not his best performance. I think he's not going to want to remember this one. You know, uh, Ted Lasso, memory of a goldfish kind of thing. Uh, put it behind him and and move on because there there was not a lot good from him in this game. <laughs> um, another. The last one we'll talk about who had a really bad game, and that's Silvio Petrescu, the the referee in this one, who was awful and who I think was the story of the first hour. His decisions explained the first hour of the game. Um, the phantom foul that gave Zellerai on the free kick that led that, that was the first goal. Um, 
he just denied uh denied advantage to dc united on a couple of occasions that was just inexplicable they were well off an attack with numbers up and he just called it back to midfield for a foul uh instead of going back and giving the yellow card later just really really bad performance i think from him and that's not like i'm not even faulting him for not awarding dc united on on either of two penalty counts because var agreed with him uh but i thought there was more to those than to some of the fouls he gave um so uh, you know, you, you have to deal with the referee you have. And um, he, he was a handful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it was not a lot of fun to have to keep bringing him up, but it just kept, be, it kept being things that were like, what are you doing? Um, it's essentially uh, you, you hear, it's not even anger. It's more to like exasperation uh, for me. Like, oh, come on, man. Um, and yeah, it, it wasn't helpful. Uh, it was certainly a game where DC maybe could have used, you know, I mentioned making your own luck. And, and one of those things is like a better referee sees that Zellerion doesn't get touched by Yamil Assad uh, and doesn't give Zellerion a, a free kick 25 yards out in dead center. Um, because when, when you just sort of swing your leg and fall down, that's not a foul. Um, and, you know, I don't want to take anything away from the free kick and it is, I want to take a little away from the free kick because I don't know what Chris Seitz was doing with his positioning in the wall there. That wasn't great. (laughs) Uh, That certainly was not the best. Um, I would like that to not happen again because that's, if you do that, you'll concede free kick goals against some of the league's better players. But, um, you know, Petrescu was right there. He, He didn't, it wasn't that he needed to get help from someone and didn't get it. It was that from within like 10 yards away, he would, he just didn't see reality. Um, I mean, he was giving Zaylorian all the respect that, um, you know, like LeBron gets in the NBA. It was, was like giving if, him David if, Beckham treatment. Yeah, if Zaylorian went Beckham down, treatment. it was a foul. It, right. Is what it seemed like. It was um, it was bizarre. But he also, I mean, he also missed some calls uh, for the crew against DC. Like he just he did a bad job, um, kind of across the board here. Um, DC maybe were worse off because of it. They certainly paid more of a price. Um, this goes back to that partially to that set piece delivery uh, thing, which next week that's got to be, or not next week in a few days, that's got to be better. Um, but yeah, this was not a well officiated game, not, not due to the whole officiating group, but one person in it. It's just the person who does most of the work. Um, he, he was bad. It was, it was kind of tough to take um, because I watched some other MLS games uh, this season and I haven't come away from too many of them thinking, wow, this referee is a real, real mess today. Petrescu, I was like, wow, this, this was just bad from start to finish. Um, I mean, if you can't make some of these calls in the correct manner, if you can't spot advantage uh, on a situation like the one that, that you mentioned, Adam, if you can't spot these things, these are, I mean, this is not just like basic stuff. Right, and it's like it's not just that it's not MLS caliber. It would be unacceptable in any of the professional leagues. It would be tough to take if it was a high school game to not be able to see the advantage building up in that moment, um, because all it takes is a glance at the space and the numbers in in one color shirt running in a different direction. You say, "Might be advantage." Maybe let me me... have to wait a heartbeat. Yeah, like you um, you don't have to wait till the play is over. Just wait a heartbeat and look up and see if it's on. 
It is a um, very difficult job, but he made yes. it look much more difficult than it needed to be uh, because he just wasn't seeing the things that were happening. Yeah, it's a difficult job, but he gets paid to do it and he needs to do it better than he did. Um, we're, we'll end on an up note. Uh, Andy Nahar got his first start for DC United playing right center back. And I think we're going to have to talk more about that right center back position uh, on a future show because... That one, that position specifically, seems to be really interesting in Hernan Losada's system. It gets forward more. It has a lot more freedom than uh, I've ever seen a center back given <laughs> in the attack. Um, maybe anywhere. And so I wanted to know, but I thought Andy Nahar had a pretty good game. He came out um, in the second half, I think, just to to preserve him. But he's he's showing pretty well. He had a, a, a decent dribble, dribbled two guys, couldn't get past the third guy, but that was in the other team's box in open play. Yeah. Um, so it was exciting to see that again from, from Andy. Uh, last guy we're going to talk about, we bring on Ruben Tish to talk about the fire is Moses Nyman, 17 year old homegrown player who got a second start of the year in central midfield, um, deputizing for the injured Russell Knaus. And uh, he was pretty impressive, Ben. Yeah, he did. He did a great job. I mean, I think he was the best DC United player. So did Hernan uh, Losada. Yeah, exactly. Uh, c- coming out of the gate, and it's it's nice to see him get opportunities. Um, it'll be interesting to see once uh, uh, Russell Canals and Felipe Martins and everybody is healthy again what Hernan Losada chooses to do in that central midfield. But for this time... Uh, Moses Nyman did a great job, and I think he is proving day in and day out that he he might be deserving of that opportunity. Yeah, I think, you know, it didn't surprise me too much that Losada, you know, focused on Nyman, and pretty quickly in the press conference, too, he, he wanted to get to that pretty early on. Um, because, you know, right now, uh, and we've talked about this a couple of times now, Whenever Canals comes back and you figure Canals is going to be a starter when he's back healthy, um, whenever he comes back, at this point, you would have a hard time justifying Nyaman not being the other guy next to him. Um, and it's not based on charity. It's not punitive to Junior Moreno. It's flat out who's playing the best soccer. Um, and it's it's Nyaman. Um, And he also, he adds an element that none of the rest of them bar maybe Felipe uh, can bring to the table. And that is a sort of a, a comfort in playing with the, the tempo that DC wants to set. He's not a, I don't think he's at a point yet where he's going to set the tempo himself. That's, that's down the road for him, but it's not here yet. But what he does do really, really well is it's that like receive and move it along, receive and move it along. Um, and, and if DC is going to be a team that plays quickly and that's, they keep saying they want to be that team. If they're going to be a team that plays fast, it means your central midfielder isn't taking six or seven touches. You can't have it. You, you, you kill the attack single-handedly if you do that. And Nyaman is so good at positioning himself to receive the ball correctly so that he can move the ball in one or two touches. Um, I can't imagine what it's like to try and play any sort of keep away with Nyaman where it's not even to goal, it's just keep away because it's got to be maddening because he could do this all day. Just the natural, you know, he sets himself up so he can take 
one touch instead of two or two instead of four. Um, he can get out of these tiny little spaces that I don't think anyone else on the team at this point can escape the kind of things he can escape, except maybe Nahar. Um, and that's a, these are special traits. So um, I don't think it was a perfect performance from Nyman, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, and it's, it's nice to see that we're not saying, you know, for a 17 year old, he played well. We're just saying flat out, like Moses Nyman, MLS player played well among the other MLS players. We don't have to qualify it, um, which this is, this is, I will say this is a great news for me in my project to get to single-handedly demand uh, a thousand or more minutes in MLS this year for Moses Nyman, because he's doing nothing wrong to lose that opportunity. So I, you know, it's great to see. Yeah, I, I completely agree. He, there were a few moments where it's like, he's got to do better there. He's going to improve. He's going to learn something from that. And then he goes and bodies Jesse Zardes off the ball. And I was like, yes, you are five, five and you are taking Zardes just off the ball. You're not taking it. You're, you're not taking anything from him except the ball. It was, it was perfect in that moment. Uh, and I loved it. Um, honestly though, you, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm just pulling up, um, his, um, uh, FB ref page just to, just to try and get some numbers in front of me. And the defensive side is also, he's doing really well. Like from a pure data perspective, he's in the 97th percentile in terms of, uh, pressures uh, and tackles. He's up at the 94th percentile. So he's making an impact without the ball too. His um, his ability to carry the ball forward um, is also at a high level. So uh, there are things he's not, you know, I would like to see his progressive passes go up. I'm looking at that and he's down pretty, pretty far down on that because it's a lot of side to side. Um, but at the same time, that's not necessarily the role for him, it, it would be nice to mix it in a little more. Right. I think, um, honestly, I think that the two central midfielders, at least so far this season, have had kind of different roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Junior Moreno's has been more to sit and receive the ball and, and you know, not not chase as much in the defensive phase of the game, whereas Russell Knauss and now Moses Nyman have been the fly-around-all-action tackling central midfielder. Um, and then the junior Moreno has been there to kind of clean up the mess and pick up interceptions. I honestly think Moses Nyman will be better in that Moreno role than he's been in the Canals role. And so when Canals comes back and you have Moreno a little sitting a little deeper in possession, making maybe that late run instead of the, er, the earlier midfield run and not having to fly around and make all those pressures, he can read the game a little bit instead of just flying around. I think that suits him a little better at this point in his career. And I'm excited. I really want to see Nyman and Knauss together in central midfield. Yeah. And I feel like we've all had opinions about, uh, 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 junior Moreno so far this year. And, uh, it'd be great to see Moses Nyman fully take his place and see what he can do with, uh, with Russell Knauss. We are all agreed then. And uh, now that it's been 50 minutes, we're going to call it a segment. We will be right back to talk to Ruben Tisch. Stick around, please. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, 
or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United returns to Soldier Field this Thursday night to visit the men who formerly wore red. Uh, watch DC United take on the Chicago Fire, 8 o'clock Thursday night on NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, and ESPN Plus, depending on your geographic location. Uh, about an hour before that game, we're going to do a Twitter spaces when the lineups drop. So make sure you have your Twitter app on your phone open for that. I don't think it works in the browser. Uh, it doesn't. So, so get on your phone, look at that little tiny screen when the lineups drop and uh, watch for us. Cause we, we will try to be there to, to talk through it. Uh, our friend Ruben Tish has been uh, kind enough to join us to help us preview this one. He covers the fire as an editor for Hot Time in Old Town dot com on the SB Nation family of websites, Ruben, welcome back to Filibuster. Thank you. I'm glad it was a shorter amount of time between appearances this time than the last time, which was something like seven <laughs> years. Uh, so I'll take it. I mean, we're just happy to have been around long enough to have that kind of a gap between guests, but we'll you know try to keep it shorter going that's forward. Totally fair. Totally fair. I can respect that. <laughs> I respect it. Uh, you know how we got to do it here. What are you yep. drinking tonight? Tonight, uh, I had to keep it uh, my 100% non-alcoholic appearance uh, on this podcast. So I chose nice. a orange-flavored ramune, which now that I think about it is probably a bad idea with the marble rattling around the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> well now our listeners have something to try to focus on to see if they can hear it over the course of this segment um i, I guess one more note before we get into the meat of it uh this will probably be our last uh two segment episode for a little while we're going to go to a two episode format so the previews will be later in the week uh than the the last episode or then the the episode breaking down the last game, except for our Patreon supporters who can get the uh, the interview segment a little bit earlier in the week. So uh, if you're listening to this and uh, in future weeks, if you want to hear this part of the show a little bit earlier in the week, throw us some money at patreon.com slash filibuster. Um, now going into the fire, um, they're one of only three teams sitting behind DC United in the Eastern Conference standings. Right now, they've got one point from their first four games. Um, if you need a shoulder, if you need uh, some support, if you just want to talk it out, we're here for you, Ruben. What's the mood right now around the midway? Well, spoiler alert, it's probably going to end up 
staying that way after Thursday. <laughs> um, look, it's tough right now. Um, the fan base as a whole was upset. The, the club got booed after the game. There was a, I don't want to say altercation between Francisco Calvo allegedly telling the fans to shut up after they were booing them. That's that's complete hearsay, and I have no idea if that's actually true. Um, but that is um, something that was thought to have happened. Um, but it's it's kind of a mess, and not in the fun way that the fire team's been the last couple of years. This is proper 2014-2015 fighting for the Golden Spoon mess. Uh, Ruben, I, I watched this uh, this game against the Union. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I really don't want to, um, you know, rub it in, but it, it, it was rough. Um, uh, like, I, I don't have to tell you, it was rough viewing uh, for, for Chicago. Um, normally, the Fire recently have been a team that is like, they play some good soccer and then they find a way to ruin that by doing something awful afterwards. Um, this game, they never even got to the good part. Uh, I, so I'm curious, there are players on the team where I'm like, that guy's not bad. You know, Gaston Jimenez is a very good player. Um, Frankowski has given teams fits. Robert Barrich obviously has managed to, despite being on a struggling team, score a bunch of goals. Um, why don't the pieces all fit together for this group right now? Um, a lot of it is communication focused. Um, I don't know how much you know about the saga of Francisco Calvo. Um, I, I, I'm a little familiar with. Can with we call the... it the Ballad of Francisco Calvo? <laughs> no. That just sounds more. It does. It does, <laughs> but it is definitely a saga because it spans multiple years and multiple teams. I mean, I, I would um, say that uh, just because Jason knows of a saga does not mean that everybody else knows of this well, saga. So please enlighten allow, the rest of us. Allow me to um, become the orator. Uh, Francisco Calvo came to be on the Chicago Fire because he essentially ran himself out of Minnesota. Um, he got into a feud with Adrian Heath, which seems odd to me is who gets into feuds with Adrian Heath, right? I mean, was he a like, writer for MLSsoccer.com? Is that how he right. got into a feud? <laughs> or SB Nation? No. Uh, he got into a feud because he didn't want to play left back. And Heath had him starting at left back because they had two center backs who were playing really well with each other and he sort of ran into the same logical fallacy that the fire are running to into in that Heath named Calvo club captain and you got to find a way to get your club captain out on the field so he put him because he is left footed he put him out on the left but Calvo didn't want to play him on the left. So there was a whole thing. And then they shipped him off to Chicago where he did okay because he was bailed out a little bit by Bastian Schweinsteiger still being there and, and being his center back pairing. Um, but 
ever since Schweinsteiger left and Calvo has received the captaincy, we're sort of seeing some of the reasons why you don't want Francisco Calvo being a center back um, or even club captain, which he managed to strangle his way into this time here as well. Um, And that's that for all his athletic talent and technical ability, he's kind of dumb and he doesn't like to talk, which are like the two things you don't like the two most important parts of a center back, let alone a club captain, at least, especially one who's anchoring where the other center back is um, a little more athletic and a little more forward facing is he needs to be smart positionally and he needs to stop or, and he needs to be an organizer, especially if your goalkeeper is either Kenneth Cronholm or Bobby Shuttleworth who aren't really that good at the whole organizing a defense thing. Their strengths are generally distribution uh, from goal kicks and, and, you know, uh, returning to play and stuff and shot stopping. Those are what those two um, excel at. Not really great about organizing on a defense. You needed Calvo to be that. He's just not that guy. And every problem the fire has essentially stems from the fact that they don't communicate well defensively, which leads to glaring mistakes and goal-scoring opportunities and cheap goals, you know, uh, just go to Matthew Doyle's Twitter timeline for that. Um, and boneheaded passes by trying to pass the ball out of the back 40 yards onto a, to a winger or a central midfielder. Um, and poor other center back sort of has to clean up all of that and can't do it all the time, so they look bad. That's sort of what's happening with uh, Johan Kapelhoff right now, who was basically injured for the better half of two years. He comes back in and essentially has to play one-and-a-half center backs while sort of getting used to playing soccer again. Um, And Victor Pineda is, you know, was a box-to-box midfielder for basically his entire junior career and was the MLS minutes leader at center back last year. But if you play him at center back again this year, you sort of keep having the same problems. And it all stems from the fact that they decided at some point in August to extend Francisco Calvo's contract for this year and add a club option for next year. Um, The entire, as far as I see it, the entire problem with this club is a domino effect from that single decision. So Ruben, this team has concentrated the last six years about hiring former youth coaches. They hired Velko Panovic. Mm-hmm. Now By they've the way, hired yeah. uh, Rafael Vicky. Uh what is it about the team that they concentrate on hiring former youth coaches? And is Rafael Vicky the, the coach to, to fix it? I mean, 2020 is a nothing season. Uh, uh, I feel like most of us give everybody a pass for that, but 
coming into 2021. Is he the coach to to well, Vicky's Vicky's left. Vicky's a bit different because whereas this was Ponovich's first senior job, Vicky coached FC Basel right. in the Champions League and made it to the knockout stages and, and stuff like that with their director of football or whatever they call him, George Heights. So you've got that sort of brain trust here. I think um, see the two of them and the rest of the player personnel department made a giant miscalculation that led into more miscalculations. Um, I've talked about the Calva. I obviously I went on with the the Calva thing, but because of that, and and you say last year doesn't matter. It turns out for this club, last year man it, uh, mattered a whole well, lot. Well, I mean, it mattered for DC United too because we fired Ben Olsen. So right, no, but what I mean is, um, the club only got five wins, but there was a lot of good play and a lot of near misses, which gave the club confidence in keeping continuity with a team that only won five games the previous year. Yeah. Um, which is defensible in some respects. And, and there are a lot of really good things happening. Um, I think injuries are playing a big part specifically in what's going on right now. There, there are six or the fire lost like six or seven players in the preseason. Oh, only six or seven. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> um, the problem was they're all the most important guys. Um, Ignacio Alaceda, our young DP, who is supposed to be our starting left winger, um, got injured. The big signing from this that they brought in, uh, Stanislav Ivanov, uh, got hurt in the second to last preseason game. Um, uh, Navarro, who is a sense uh, ostensibly Jonathan Bornstein's backup, um, but because Jonathan Bornstein is 35, 36, was going to be platooning more often than not at the left back, uh, got hurt. Um, a bunch of other guys got hurt. And this is what I mean about standing pat. They only brought in four signings for the fire this year. They only brought in four players. And um, their depth is basically a bunch of kids who were signed to homegrown deals um, in order to not have them go through the draft process, but have them be loaned out to various, you know, lower league clubs. Now, all of a sudden, that's your bench and you don't have options on your bench who are ready to come into the games and make a difference. Um. So, like I said, it, the the Calvo signing just a domino effect where everything that has gone wrong, that could go wrong has gone wrong, um, including a couple of regressions of players. And you mentioned Robert Barrich scoring a bunch of goals. I don't think he's. I think that was a fluke. Um, I think because he was never a volume goal scorer before. Um, the last time before last year he scored double-digit goals was in 2016. So they signed a guy who they thought could be productive at an MLS level but hasn't, you know, is starting to show he's a guy who isn't the volume scorer. He missed a couple of wide-open sitters against Philadelphia where if they score 
if he scores those two goals, the narrative coming out of that game is completely different. It's, you know, the fire put in a gutsy performance and yeah, they had some things go wrong like usual, but it wasn't a complete and total disaster like the game against the Red Bulls was. Instead, if since he didn't score those two goals, we're talking about it's a disaster. Is Vicky going to get fired at some point midseason? That's that's sort of the difference between having uh, a big main striker and a guy who's, you know, just a guy. Well, Ruben, what are the expectations for the fire this year? Is this a Vicky gets to a certain level or he's out or is this a rebuilding year? Um, playoffs was the, you know, the bar. The bar is make the playoffs. Um, I think that I don't know if he's on the hot seat. I wouldn't imagine so because of the relationship between Heights and, and Wiki. Um, but I mean, at this point, anything's possible. There's a reset on the rebrand coming next year. And then in 2023, the fire are going to be back wearing red. So we're sort of in this, you know, two-step okay we screwed up and fell on our faces but now we have this opportunity to right the ship um both on the field and culturally so in order to do that you need a at least a competitive team out on the field and while they have the talent to do that they're just not playing up to the level they should be playing at is there a plan or process to to get there, one of the things we talked about in the last segment is DC United. You know they they haven't won in three games, but they're at the early stages of a process, right? And so it's not just injuries. There's there's other things we're looking for. Are there any signs you're looking for from the fire to, to show they are trying to do what Vicky wants them to do, or is it just this is who they are, and we just got to wait for injuries? Um, offensively, there seems to be a plan. Um, I don't, I mean, obviously it's free flowing, it's attack minded possession, but with possession with a purpose. So you get the ball, you go, you make some passes. If you have to reset, you reset, but everything's boom, 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 get the ball out wide, put in across the, to your big guys up front and, and get the ball in the back of the net or play the ball you know, through the middle, if you can, if you can do that, because the bright spot of the fire, generally speaking, is its midfield. Uh, I'd put its midfield against any midfield in the league. And if have it not be a favorable matchup, have it be extremely competitive. Um, I think maybe the LA galaxy's midfield is better, but other than that, you know, this core central three of Lucas Dianovich, who we need to praise the front office for getting him. He came in last year, played 60 minutes, tore his ACL, was ready to start this season, and has a goal and two assists in four games. Um, so he's been a real positive signing that they've made when they came in last year. Um, like I said, defensively, we've fallen into the sunk cost fallacy of you paid Francisco Calvo, you got to play him. Um, so defensive, defensively, I've got no idea. But 
attacking wise, there's a plan and it seems like the players do buy into it because when it works, this team is one of the better, more exciting teams to watch in the league. It's just when they're forced to experiment with their formation, like taking Madron out of central midfield and sticking him out wide like they did against um, the Red Bulls, sort of out of necessity, um, that's when you sort of run into um, problems because, you know, he's not in there centrally in the machine. Um, But when the machine's going, it's the fire are an Italian sports car. (laughs) When everything's great going and humming along, it's so beautiful. But it breaks down 50 and costs $50,000 a year every six months to fix. So um, that's that. Uh, Well, Ruben, that kind of, that kind of dovetails nicely with something I, I had in mind to ask, which is that, and you mentioned that Red Bulls game that did not did not go very well for the fire. Um, the thing that DC seems to be doing well on a consistent basis is kind of antithetical to being an Italian sports car. Um, it is, you know, Matt Doyle has called it demolition derby, which I think is a pretty fair way of looking at it. They've been very good at disrupting other teams from building out and having a getting into a flow. And I think Chicago is usually pretty good at that, but um, how do you think they've done against the teams that are, you know, like the Union, like the Red Bulls, that are good at high pressing and are good at disrupting primarily their opponent? Well, obviously terribly. Uh, (laughs) Their two worst games of the year were against the Union and the Red Bulls, who are very good at the high press and forcing players to make decisions quickly. Uh, That's something the Fire are not terribly good at if you give the fire space to work they'll kill you but if you don't then that's when the problems and lack of depth um manifest itself because you can't really bring in you know fresh legs late on in the game to you know spice it up a little bit with the injury situation um so you've got to in some senses, you've got to do the thing you don't want to do and give up the ball. So you're the team pressing and not the team getting pressed. You sort of have to play counterattack, which is not something well, – while they can do they can do it and can do it rather well, it's not something the team is drilled in. This is a possession-first team, so it's hard to switch on to that sort of – Mourinho ask anti football when you really need to. Um so that is that is the fire's big problem is they can't figure out how to break a press consistently and don't want to give it up to press themselves. I uh, you mentioned the rebrand earlier. I wanted to ask you how it felt to now have the second most hated rebrand in MLS today. So here's my take on that. Um, My hot take is it's better than the Friars rebrand. The Friars rebrand is still. It's not. Bottom. No, it absolutely is because there's. I don't think it's better. I think it's no worse than. 
Uh, the word better well, implies that there's something good about it, and I, the, I don't think there is. The Columbus Crew's rebrand, and they're still the Columbus Crew. They will never be Columbus. They'll SC, always be the, the Columbus crew. crew. They will always be the Columbus Crew. Uh, much like how I still call the Red Bulls the Metro Stars sometimes. Um, yes, too. I think that it, 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 well, first of all, it doesn't have the street gang problem that the fire logo has <laughs> yes so right off the oh, bat that's true. the columbus crew got that right um it's it's heinous in that it's boring and generic whereas now i actually hate the current crew badge i much prefer the three dudes in the hard hats well, um, yeah, everybody does so a lot of people really love the current crew roundel. Right. And I'm not going like this is to a point this is subjective and I'm willing to say that on the current crew logo it's very subjective. I like the 96 and the circle and the thing but it's a little busy for me inside and I really not a fan of circle crests much as a whole. Um they Montreal. they they are the new hotness <laughs> right everywhere. Everyone is doing it. Right. Um, it's just, you know, it's just generic Pez logo number 400, right? So, it, like I said, it's still not as bad as the Fires logo. The Fires, <laughs> the, the Fires logo is an abomination where this is just boring and bad and ill-advised. Um, well, the Fire logo, the, the team backtracked on relatively quickly they're going through a whole process now to right. to redevelop what's the the latest on on the re rebrand of the chicago um, fire they said something this summer so we're expecting something in june or july um maybe pushing it to august uh the problem is that once it's announced it's too late to do anything about it for at least a couple years because of how adidas does their product and it takes you know six months to get the t-shirts and the scarves and the hats and stuff rolled out the door so because of that crew fans are going to be stuck with this for two years and at least um and my message to them and anybody else who has this problem going forward is understand that this is a marathon fight not a sprint um, because once they unveil the new logo, it's already the, it's already too late. So just understand that this is going to be your logo, um, and stop. Okay, get mad for the first twenty four hours. That's your new, new logo. Um, but now figure out how to change it back, as opposed to just saying this logo sucks or whatever, because there's nothing you can do about it. If there's one fan base that's had to to fight to save the crew, it's it's that one. So hopefully the 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 owners, the new owners, will listen to the fans at some point. Turning back to the field and Thursday night, um, before we get you out of here, I, I got to ask: How would you game plan against Vicky's Chicago Fire if you had to take a team and play against them hypothetically this week? What would you be focusing on? Um, pressure the back four. 
first and foremost, make Calvo and his center back partner make plays. Um, try to outwork the Fire's midfield, which is going to be hard. Um, but bottom line is make the back, make the center backs make plays. Um, when you're attacking, I'd try something that Philadelphia actually didn't do, even though it worked out, and that's attack the fires right because Boris Sekulich likes to get forward, even if he is arguably the fires' best player on the pitch. Um, attack into him, try and force a yellow card on him so he has to play a little bit more passively and, and a little bit more carefully. Um, attack that side of the pitch. Um uh, defending the fire obviously clogged the midfield, but if they get wide, um, you don't really have to worry about crosses unless Robert Barrich is in the middle and because he likes to find the game, so he goes out wide sometimes. And um, try not to get caught in an odd man situation on attack. Uh, because if the fire get into a 3-2 a, a triangle situation or a 4-3 situation, uh, there's a good chance that a shot on goal or at least a dangerous cross is coming. Uh, so those are the things I'd try and do against the fire. All right. Well, it, it, hopefully for our, for our sake, DC United can uh, get the win at home and avoid the, the yeah. pitfalls that, that Ruben identified. Again, Ruben, if you need a shoulder... We're always here for you, buddy. Oh, don't worry about it. The Wizards lost tonight. The Bulls are still in the playoff hunt. It's fine. <laughs> Ruben, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me at Ruben Tish. Um, you can find me also at uh, on Hot Time in Old Town, as you said. Uh, I do the tweets uh, on Hot Time in Old Town for games. I might not this week, though. Um, because Friday, the day after the game, is my COVID shot, my second COVID yeah. shot. So I'm excited yeah. for that. Yeah. Awesome. Get your shots. Get the Get shot. Shots. I had mine um, last Friday. It yeah. was, uh, I was grumpy on Saturday. Thankfully, yeah. that, was, that was all the side effects I had. A little soreness, and I was grumpy. Yeah. Um, also, at the Hotcast, which is our uh, Hot Time in Old Town Fire podcast. It's me and RJ. RJ had his shot today, which is why we're probably not going to have a podcast this week um, because he got his on Monday and I'm having mine on Friday. And it's a little like that. Um, and uh, you won't find me here, but I should say it anyway. You should subscribe to Southside Trap Pod on Patreon. And I can get with that. Sure. And the Furtcast, if that's still a thing. I don't know. Uh, it, it exists as a group chat. Fair enough. <laughs> well, another thing you can support on Patreon is this here podcast, patreon.com slash filibuster. If we are going to have a conversation with Julia Poe later in the week, if you want to get that before the Chicago game, you can do that by subscribing on, uh, on our Patreon. Uh, and that'll be the case going forward for... Um, for the foreseeable future is we're going to have these interview segments uh, drop later in the week, except for Patreon patrons uh, who will get it earlier. Thank you, Ruben Tish for joining us. Uh, find us of course at black on Twitter at filibuster DCU at black and red for the website, send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com. 
download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Please, I, I understand ratings and reviews are are very helpful for helping new people find the podcast. Something I think is probably even better is just telling a friend about the show. That's a word of mouth is and always will be the best advertising. So if you would tell someone about the show, we'd really appreciate it. For Jason and Ben and thanking Ruben one more time, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. All hail Brood X. I, for one, welcome our new Insect Overlords. Thank you.